Hello, welcome to the Roundhouse Podcast with Paul Solentrop of Wichita State University Strategic Communications. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We appreciate it. Today we have John Wise. John is the Assistant Director of Track and Field and Cross Country at Wichita State. Shockers are early in their preparations for the indoor track season. Their inter-squad meet is Friday at the Heskett Center. They get going again early January with more indoor meets highlighted by the annual triangular with Kansas and Kansas. Kansas State. John, this is his sixth appearance on the podcast. He now moves into a tie with Elizabeth Economan of the softball program. So we'll start there. Congratulations, John, on making it to number six. Thank you very much. We have a uh, you know friendly rivalry with softball, winning championships back and forth each year. So that's, a, I think, appropriate that we're at the top of the list. That's right. There should be some special t-shirt or some gear or something for, for the two of you. John, we'll start with the changes to the American Athletic Conference, which significantly affect the sport of track and field. Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston, which, of course, national power in men's track and field, all departed the AAC. Uh, new schools, UAB, Texas, San Antonio, Charlotte, Rice, Florida Atlantic, and North Texas. How do these changes affect the sport of track and field? It definitely affects it differently than a lot of the sports where you're doing a head-to-head playing one game against each other because our championship is one big meet together where everybody faces off together. So you're dealing with certain schools that have had strengths in one event area or another, and then you're bringing in schools that have strengths in maybe different event areas or another. And so you could have the same team, the same level of of competence you could say and be in a different placing with the exact same team if you were to compare you know in and out um, of the of the teams and what we've learned is that I I think our men who have won the last two outdoor championships will be one of the top teams it appears Charlotte is one of those teams Texas San Antonio uh, but it also South Florida and Tulsa from you know the old version here, the AAC, the AAC. You know, I think there's five teams there that could be looking at it on paper, thinking of how to try to win the championship. And so we think we're in that mix. We're not head and shoulders above the other teams, but we're not somehow all of a sudden down in the middle of the pack either. I think that it'll be another good battle, and we'll have to have a good season. Um, on the women's side, it changes it more dramatically. Central Florida had really been dominating our league the last couple of years. And Cincinnati has been one of the top teams. And what has happened is there's just become a lot of teams that are very similar. And we're, we think as we, our women's team has started to really kind of turn the corner at the end of last year that we, we feel like we can battle up to be one of the top teams again where we have been previously to the last couple of years. And we've had a young team this year on our team right now. We only have three girls that are seniors. And so the next couple of years we should be – um, a factor, you know, up towards the top of the conference, hopefully challenging to win the conference. Charlotte, once again, they have a, a good women's team like their men's team. And then there's probably, out of the 14 teams, there's probably eight or nine teams that could sit here and go, well, we, we got a shot at being in the top two or three. And so when you have certain individual athletes that can score a lot of points, uh, that if, if those athletes do well at a conference meet that those couple days, you're going to be up there in the mix. And if, if some reason there's an injury or some unfortunate sickness or something, and those athletes you count on don't score very well, 
then you could be at the bottom of the league or in the middle to bottom of the league. So we feel like we do have some of those high point scores, and then we have the rest of the team developing to kind of chip away on that women's side to to make the difference in you know the teams in the middle or the top to middle that are all within a few points. So it appears that sprints are maybe the event affected most dramatically. Uh, so I guess it seems like if you were a sprinter on the 2023 Wichita State men's track and field team, you may be significantly more valuable in 2024 because you're no longer racing against Olympic caliber guys from Houston. So you may score six points, eight points in the conference meet, whereas last spring you might not have scored at all. Correct. And the same thing on the women because of Central Florida. They really had a focus in the sprints and hurdles and jumps. And so, uh, yeah, for sure, our sprinters are – you know, going to be looking at these early season results and and factoring in significantly higher. And and it, I would say if if you were a f- follower of our team in the Missouri Valley days, it's kind of somewhere in the middle between where it used to be in the Missouri Valley and where it has been recently in the AAC. It's still better than the Missouri Valley, uh, and and also just having more teams makes it better. You know, you're adding depth just because there's more numbers, there's more athletes. So with 14 teams instead of 11 teams, there's just more depth in everything because you just add another person here and there. Even if a team has one sprinter, that's three more sprinters than you would have had. So the depth is probably going to be as good or better to get eighth place or to score a point. But the top three, the top positions in the league might be just a little bit lower. Uh, and so, yeah, our, our sprinters are excited to, to challenge and, and hopefully make you know a big dent in the uh, final scoring tally. Did the addition of the six schools make any events tougher? Yeah, I think the distance races will be a little bit tougher because Charlotte has a significant focus in the distance area. They're not like Tulsa, whose main focus is that. Charlotte Charlotte is kind of like Houston in the fact that Houston had a sprint focus, but they still had throwers, and they still had people in a different event area. just not a lot of them. Charlotte's like that with distance, and they still have a good pole vaulter here and there. They get a thrower good multi-event athlete so um, they challenged Tulsa in the conference cross-country meet just barely lost so they're pretty darn good in the distance races and so I think that will be an event area that'll be tougher this year. So the Shockers got started last weekend with uh, Multis and Destiny Masters on the women's team. She was a second-team All-American in the high jump last spring. She opened the season by setting the pentathlon record at Wichita State, 4,151 points, moved past Brianne Borman's record of 4,133 from 2016, set Destiny's indoor season, and how does she go from here, preparing for conference, preparing for NCAA competition? It was a fantastic way to start the year obviously for destiny and and all the multi-event athletes both guys and girls and setting a school record was certainly on her her, i guess goal list but more importantly it was try to get to the national meet which she may have fallen just a little short it's really hard because the top 16 make it you never know where that cutoff will be so that score has made it in the past but ncaa track and field continues to get better so we probably think a little bit higher score you know but but she did great. She ran the fourth fastest time in the hurdles in school history. She had a great high jump mark. And then, you know, her last couple of events weren't at the level that she was hoping uh, to score the score she was wanting, you know, inevitably. Um, but it's a fantastic start, higher than she's ever scored, obviously, in her career. So it appears that her 
level where she finished at last year, she's continued to roll right on through, and she's even at a higher level this year. So she's one of those girls we're counting on. And if we're going to have team success, she'll be one of the girls that are leading us there, and it's a terrific way to start her season. Destiny is a junior from uh, from El Dorado. Will she then will go hard for a big score again at least once more this this spring? She'll have the outdoor indoor. She'll have two more opportunities. There's a multi event meet at Kansas State, uh, late January, early February in that range, and then our conference meet. If you know if she doesn't have a big score yet, our conference is pretty good in the in the multi. So she'll probably also be battling some other girls to qualify for nationals or to win a conference title. Um, so there's, you know, that'll be she'll she'll need to go hard at it at the conference meet, anyways, um, and so it'll be fun. But if she can go ahead and get a big score out of the way in late January, early February at K State, then that'll at least take that pressure off and not have to do it at the conference meet. So the Shocker men have won the past two conference outdoor titles, uh, finished fourth in last season's indoor meet. So let's start with the men's team. Uh, strong points for Shocker men going into the indoor season. I think we're pretty well-rounded. We we think that we have as good of a chance to win <clears throat> the indoor conference meet as we've ever had. The you know Houston has been tougher to beat indoor because they didn't have great hammer throwers and javelin throwers and things like steeplechasers that are outdoor-only events. So those were those are things like we build our team for that just we can't do indoor. And so, you know, they were one of the teams that kind of dominated the indoor conference meets. Um, And actually, Cincinnati beat them last year for the first time. So those two teams are gone. And now we're in with teams that I think are going to be, you know, not easier to beat, but uh, we're going to be certainly more in the hunt than we've ever been indoor. We've got a real good group of hurdlers and kind of, you know, and that's you were talking about that sprint group earlier. So I think they're going to be more significant. We know our distance runners have always done well at the conference meet so we've got a lot of newcomers that i think you know we're going to be good but winning or losing we may rely on some newcomers uh, on the guys side that we think can make immediate impact and um and and i know the guys goal is to win the conference meet they've never won the indoor conference meet we feel like it's right there attainable so we're certainly excited to see how friday goes it'll be our first chance to see some of the newcomers in a uniform and really to see how much of an impact they might have. So the women's team finished 10th in the indoor meet last spring, 7th outdoor. You think that group is ready to, to take a step up? Tell us about, tell us why. Yeah, the, there's two main reasons. One is last year indoor Destiny Masters didn't have a very good meet. She was a little dinged up, and she she scored some points, but not at the level that we it appears she's at now. And... And so that's one of them. And I was talking about earlier how kind of the margin of error is so thin on the women's side that one person, like even last year, if she would have had a better meet indoor, we would have been kind of middle of the pack just with her. Well, we also have another newcomer. They have a fantastic cross-country season, Lucy Dungo. And she, you know, got second at the conference cross-country meet. So she's immediately one of the best distance runners. And a good distance runner like that, will make the difference in several team places. So those two are the two big ones. Now, we also have a lot of other athletes that appear to be going from 7th, 8th type places up maybe into the top 4 or 5 or some girls that haven't scored that are kind of working their way into the scoring. 
just the momentum overall with a couple of big point girls, like I mentioned with Destiny and Lucy, um, appear. You just see the momentum heading towards scoring more points. And with more teams in the league, it doesn't take as many points to win or as many points to get second as a team because the points get spread out more. So if we're scoring more points, it takes less points to win those championships. We're just heading up the standings, it appears, you know, pretty rapidly, we feel like, this year. That's a lot of math, John. <laughs> yeah, we've been trying to wrap our brain around it. It's, it can be confusing, but we feel the momentum at least. So the men's team winning the past two outdoor titles. We all know Houston's such a great track and field program. In the whole scope of the past 20 or 25 years, winning back-to-back outdoor titles, where do you rank that? Put that in context among some of the other uh, accomplishments of this program, men or women. I would put it as maybe Coach Rain. You know, Coach Rainbolt's had this long, illustrious career here, winning 35 championships or something like that. I would put it at the top of that list. Not only in just winning back-to-back championships, but how it was done, how it came down to the last event, the four by four, both times back-to-back. How we were underdogs both times. How our guys—it was a total team effort both times to do that. And it's really. Um, I mean, Coach Rainbolt's not retiring. He's still got you know years to go in his coaching career. But you know, I'm, I'm assuming when he gets done, this will be right at the top of that list. And we had been close. Y- you can make an argument that we were close to winning five in a row because we had just missed for three years in a row there behind Houston, getting second place. And so our team was on the verge, and they broke through and won that that championship in 2022. And it was like they learned how to win. And last year, maybe they shouldn't have won, but they just knew how to win. It's like a, you know, maybe those old shocker basketball teams where they were having an off night, but Fred Van Fleet and Ron Baker, they just knew how to win at the end of the game. And that's kind of how we feel like our men's team has has grown up through the last few years of losing some of those really tough competitions against the incredibly difficult opponent and then breaking through and then having this confidence and that's why we feel like this year with the core of that team back and some newcomers that there's just a culture of being confident they know how to put together a good a good championship effort and and hopefully come out on top again but but yeah i think it's it's when when we look back at wichita state track and field history these two years are going to be talked about as much as any of the rest of the history of track and field here so you mentioned shockers who may be moving up from seventh eighth ninth uh, up two or three places in the in a in a meet uh, hit us with a few names who's maybe really impressed you so far this this fall and winter that might be bursting onto the scene a little bit so we've we've got some athletes that were you know scores last year that that could move up you mentioned like a somebody like a Marissa Jensen, who really indoors she didn't do as well as outdoors, one of those girls that, you know, she, she scored but lower placing, outdoor kind of got together, qualified, almost made the NCAA finals in the high jump. You just see somebody like that scoring six or eight points instead of scoring two or three points. Um, Azari Sams, who is a girl who does multiple things, the hurdles and the long jump, the changing of the conference kind of helps her a little bit become a more significant athlete. Even at the same level, we think she'll get better, but even at the same level, she gets better in terms of how many points she scores. You know, and then um, we, we've got guys, you know, on the guy's side, it's a lot of the same guys that, you know, scored tons of second, third, and fourth, and fifth place finishes. We, we won the conference meet last year with zero champions. 
So we had a ton of second, third, fourth, fifth. And, you know, with all those guys back, if some of those guys moved from third to first or, you know, sixth to third, you know, the sprinter type guys we've been talking about, um, some of our newcomers that we think are at the level of scoring immediately. Uh, Julio Montgomery is a guy who's a Wichita kid, uh, Wichita West kid, who's now in his fourth year, who has blossomed in the fall. We, we feel like that that guy's a guy that has scored points, sixth, seventh, eighth, but could easily be in the top three, win a championship or something like that. He's just looked fantastic. So and what event is he in? He's in the hurdles and hurdles. sprints. So, you know, we could see him being the best hurdler in the conference. Uh, we could see him also scoring in the sprints and, and being on a relay. And so, yeah, there, there's just a lot of those type of athletes. The culture has been good. There's been a lot of competitiveness in the fall in training sessions. And um, so we're definitely excited about that. Our multi-group, I think, will be better than it's been. There's four real good guys. We have the indoor champion, uh, Navajone. He'll be back. But there's three other guys that are going to score points and and yeah, so just a total team effort really on the guy's side. Girls side, you're looking for a couple girls to score big points and to get some contribution here and there. Audrey Navajo that you mentioned has won the heptathlon twice in the in the American Athletic Conference. Uh, newcomers who who's off to a strong start for the Shockers. So both guys and girls, we have a lot of exciting newcomers. Probably two of the the kids that people saw sign uh, were Josh and Jason Parrish. They're from Olathe, and they were they were significant at the state track meet here just a few months ago and they both have come in and looked fantastic and really raised their level and so we're excited about them adam um jankowski from the cross-country season he was one of our top guys he is going to be a guy on the track that's going to be immediately an impact trying to break up the two the tulsa and the charlotte guys and so that'll be significant as a you know a grad transfer newcomer so that's a that's a different kind of newcomer um but yeah and then but on the girls side kate campos is a terrific hurdler she's the fastest girl in the history of the state of nebraska in both 100 and 300 hurdles she's been you know you line her up next to destiny and some practices and they have some good battles and you know she's been impressive freshmen certainly have ups and downs and so you just never know you know when they find their footing but um, those are certainly some some ones, but we've got a deep group of newcomers. And Friday at the intersquad meet we're, is going to tell us something because that'll be the first time, you know, really on your mark set. <laughs> Here's the gun. A little bit of uh, nervousness working working itself out and, and seeing where they're at. So, but yeah, it'll be it'll be good. I think there'll be a lot of new faces that people are excited about. So the Parrish twins that you mentioned from Olathe North, they uh, are hurdlers, jumpers, and, and sprints. Correct, yeah. They kind of do a little bit of everything, and we're trying to figure out, you know, you don't want to spread them too thin as a freshman, but they're training in all those things, and they have different strengths. They're not identical events, and so Jason is more of a long sprinter, maybe 400 hurdles, but he's also doing some high hurdles and, and jumps, but Josh is more of a short sprinter, you know, 60 hurdles, you know, he does triple jump that Jason doesn't do. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's an exciting group. They're good guys. They're real good students. Um, they've, they've come in and not been, you know, intimidated by the division one athletics thing. They've seemed to fit right in and it'll be fun to watch them develop this year. I've not met them yet. What are the dynamics of coaching twins? Are they very <laughs> similar? How do, how do they work in that? Area? Yeah, they, they live together in the dorm. They're, 
You know, it's kind of like Nikki Larchmiller and Taylor Larchmiller in a way, a male version of it. And they don't do exactly the same events, but they kind of do the same events. And they're they're real supportive of each other. They're super competitive with each other. And, you know, it's it's a fun dynamic. It's not a, you know, any type of negativity to them at all. So um, they wanted to come to school together. That was part of the recruiting process. And they wanted to, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, let me live with somebody else in the dorm or something. They want to, you know, so it's been a really good, really good thing. And, you know, you just know over the Christmas break when they go home to train, there's a little break here for our team. They're going to be pushing each other. They have a great training partner right there all the time. And um, it's they are on a different kind of mindset as most freshmen. They're ready to contribute. They they aren't like, hey, you know, let's take some time and develop their, Hey, how many points are we going to score? And let's win another championship. So it's fun to see a freshman come in because they had that success winning state championships in high school. So that's where they're coming in from a good program like that already, you know, ready to contribute to the team. Okay. We've wrapped up the track and field talk. Let's get to the, get to the movies. We always talk about movies, uh, with John wise. Uh, if you have not checked out his YouTube channel, travel with a wise guy, Looks like you're up to almost twenty thousand subscribers. Is getting that right? there? Yeah. Tell us how the a little bit about how the algorithm works. How do you grow that that kind of a thing? You do travel videos, smallest town in Kansas, smallest town in Arkansas, all over the place. Route sixty six, all kinds of things. How's that? Uh, how, how has the site grown so much? It's fascinating because. Most of my time is devoted to track and field, but if you were to follow me, you think most of my time is devoted to YouTube. Uh, it's it's super interesting because I didn't know anything about it and started just doing it for fun. It was during COVID. Our season got canceled. I was bored to death, and so let's do something, and so start this YouTube channel. And what I've learned in terms of growing it, at first I just did random videos. I was doing, here's a travel video, here's a video of me and Coach Benton doing a slushy review here's like some random uh, here's a track meet video that i'm going to go do and what i've learned in terms of the algorithm is that stay in your lane a little bit and if people subscribe to you it's kind of for a reason they like that type of video so i've kind of narrowed it into being like hey i want to stay generally in the small towns travel history those all things kind of relate to each other and if and if i want to do some kind of other video i probably should have a different channel you know, start a secondary channel to do something like that. And a lot of people do that. I've noticed that because it kind of messes up your algorithm all of a sudden if people are in the unsubscribe because they didn't want that kind of video. So um, it, I'm not a celebrity. So some YouTube people are celebrities, so people will subscribe to listen to them, whatever they do. Not being a celebrity of any level, um, it's more about the topic and the subject matter. So I've learned to kind of stay in my lane, travel history, you know things like that. I try to tie in movies with some of the travel. Um, I went to the Killers of the Flower Moon movie location, so you're talking about history. You're, they're all small towns, and you're but taking a little movie fun that I enjoy too, and throwing it in there. So I did that. I did like the bridges of Madison County. Went to those you know bridges that were in the movie. I went to the Field of Dreams. So those those kind of things are somewhat related, and that you can sprinkle in here and there. How has your technique or your technology improved over the last few years since you started? Well, I don't think I could have done this any sooner than when I started it like three and a half years ago because I do everything on my phone. And the technology of your phone to edit, to have drone video, 
is all now, everything's in my phone. Before, the amount of time to edit in an editing software is, was too, I couldn't have, I wouldn't have enough time to do it. And because I've done a lot of that editing for track and field, whether we do a highlight film or something for a banquet, and I just know how long that takes. But in a phone, it's a lot easier. And the, the one thing I've learned is that for YouTube, if anybody's out there wanting to start a YouTube channel, seven or eight out of 10 in quality is probably good enough. Some people would say, well, you need to be a perfect video, but the amount of time to get it from an eight out of 10 to a 10 out of 10 is, is a lot. And in YouTube, you want to have content. You want to constantly be putting stuff out there. So you have a regular schedule once a week, twice a week, or whatever that is. And the quality of the video is secondary to the content of the video. Now, you can't have a 2 out of 10 quality. People aren't going to watch that. So I've gotten to the point where I can put a 7 or 8 out of 10. I'm not a professional editor, um, but but it's good enough, and that keeps people knowing they're going to have some level of quality. But they're more interested in listening to where, where you're going and seeing the places that they haven't been. So Killer of the Flower Moon, fabulous book, came out, I guess, four or five years ago now about uh, the Native Americans in kind of northern Oklahoma, northeastern Oklahoma, uh, a lot of oil money. Uh, there was a lot of bad, bad things happening then, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of murder, poisoning. Uh, now this is the subject of a movie, Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio is in it. You went down to that part of Oklahoma, Pawhuska, uh, and did, a, I think, a 17-minute video. It was really interesting. Uh, tell us about the video and, and how you wandered down there. So I actually went down there last year, not knowing they had filmed or they were in the process of filming a movie, and learned about while I was there, learning about this history. And then I actually met someone on the Gray Horse Reservation, which is kind of the center of it. And the guy told me about it, and he told me about there's a little museum over here to go to, and then they're making a movie and this and that. I'm like, oh wow! So I went down there. If you watch any of those old videos, I kind of touch on that, but I didn't really know what I was talking about. And then when the book came out, or the book had already been out at that point, so I got the book, read the book, saw the movie, and I'm like, well, I need to go back and revisit these places now that I really have a better understanding of what went on. And it was really rewarding because there's tons of interesting small towns in that area, but what went on is just wild, you know? And you hear about, like, Wild West stories of the western frontier, this is a Wild West story of a totally different type of subject matter, you know, and that probably not enough people had known about. Heck, I didn't know about it, you know, until recently. And I lived two hours from, you know, less than two hours from some of the places that I went and checked out. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun and just learning about that and then going to the actual places and trying to research, well, this is maybe where this death occurred and this is where... Um, you know, the meetings took place and here's a school that the bad guy in the movie funded and there's the actual school here in real life that's still there, you know. So uh, that, that was one of the most rewarding trips I took. And I did it all in one day. So and I live in Wichita. So it's any if you live in Wichita, you could follow the path of my video and go to all the same places pretty quickly. Definitely just a horrible, heart-wrenching story. In the book, it even touches into southeast Kansas. So there's Correct. definitely a, uh, a very local uh, a local flavor to it. How, what's the response been to, to that video specifically? So that one has been decent. It's not like it went viral, but it was a good, you know, I think, I think there's quite a few people from Oklahoma that follow. And then uh, they, they immediately going to watch anything from Oklahoma. Uh, but with the movie coming out at the same time 
I noticed that not only did that movie have or that video have some interest, but the videos I did last year got interest, kind of lagging interest, that because I just did videos about some of the towns, not knowing, and so people were just interested in the history of the towns, even. Um, but yeah, you know, people comment, you, people teach me stuff in the comments. They there's some really it very intelligent people that watch the videos that are educating me. So I put videos out there. Sometimes I go, I'm not quite sure what about this. And then somebody in the comment is going to talk about it and they're going to, you know, educate me and everybody else. So it's become a fun little community of how people watch and comment and interact. Were there any comments from an M Scorsese about uh, editing or lighting or pacing or anything like that? No, but when I did, I did post it on Twitter and I tagged two people I tagged Leonardo DiCaprio because he has a Twitter and Brent Kimnitz since he's from Oklahoma. And he he responded and uh, he he liked to be included in the same uh, tweet with Leonardo DiCaprio. So you've seen the movie. Thoughts. What did you what's your review of of Killers of the Flower Moon? Really good. It was people talk about how long it was, you know, before you go into it, three and a half hours. I thought it was it passed pretty quickly. And, you know, having read the book previous to that. I liked how it was a little different perspective in how they told the story. The ending of the movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, was well done, I thought. What was, what was your impression of how they wrapped that up? I think it's always hard to wrap up a movie like that because when you're basing it on something that happened, there's really not an ending. It's just the history has continued even to this day. So how do you do that? And uh, the way they did it, it wasn't a typical movie ending. And it, they, they basically... Did an epi- like it would be like an epilogue of a book, uh, almost in a very creative, unique style. I would agree. Uh, the time, the length of it, I thought it went by pretty quickly. Uh, that was not that should not dissuade anyone from going to it. Uh, what I enjoyed about the book that did not really translate to the movie. I'd be interested in what you thought. I thought the uh, the, the the poisoning part of the conspiracy was more made more clear in the book. I thought the scope of their wealth from the oil was made more clear in the book. And then, and I'm sure this was just totally for time, the evolution of the FBI coming out of this uh, incident was made was a bigger deal in the book. What did you think about those aspects of it? Yeah, and I've heard, I agree, and then I've heard, you know, people talk about, you know, there's a there's a different version of that movie that will come out someday on a DVD or some sort of you know special features that's longer or you know that maybe they did make that part. I've heard about it with like the Napoleon movie that's out right now that they focused a lot on his kind of personal life and less on the the historical war stuff that that he did. But there's probably a longer version of that that is more focused on some of those things that I would probably be more interested in, like you're talking about with with that and so um yeah I, but at some point you're like well how long is this movie gonna be <laughs> especially if it's in a movie theater and it's gonna make money and you can't put a five-hour movie in a movie theater so uh, i'd be interested to see if maybe they did try to film some of those things or if they just decided not to originally so a lot of times and luckily now with our technology those versions will come out eventually uh, probably at some point or extras or deleted scenes and that would be interesting how they do that but yeah books are always going to be i think going to explain things better like moneyball i and you know the details in moneyball are so more significant than the movie and so if you if you like the movie then certainly go back and read the book and you're gonna, it's going to fill in some things like that as well. 
So Killers of the Flower Moon, excellent movie, excellent book. I think we would both highly recommend it if you're looking for a, uh, a Christmas present or looking to something for something to do. Uh, run out and get it. Let's go back to your video. There is a spoiler. I guess I'll give a spoiler alert. If you're going to watch John's video and you don't want the... Uh, what would we call it? A twist at the end, I guess. If yeah. you don't want to know what that is, then now's your time to 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 uh, move on or turn off the volume. Uh, have you found out why William Hale, who was principal evildoer in the book and the movie, have you found out why he's buried in Wichita? Nope. And now, I, and like I mentioned in the comments, there were a lot of people that were trying to figure it out after I posted the video. He's actually, his burial is across the street from the track. So I've looked at it, not knowing what I was looking at. And, and that, you know, you, you wonder why there is, you know, is oil history or is there family history? And when I did go over there and was trying to find exactly when, when I was told that that's where he was, when I was trying to find out, they have a big book that shows all the different names and, you know, you're trying to, there's a huge, just a huge cemetery and it's, you know, if you're trying to find somebody, it's like a maze, but there were 25 hails in there doesn't mean they're all related, but that was interesting that I didn't realize. And then, you know, when I, when I posted that, I kind of left the ending kind of open of asking, does anybody know why? And there were lots of, uh, you know, amateur investigators <laughs> after that video and some really interesting ideas, but nobody could figure out why. So if anybody out there knows, uh, it's probably something to do with a family relative or something like that um he was in arizona when he died and in some i think a nursing home or something like that and yeah just didn't appear to be he couldn't go to oklahoma he wasn't allowed to go back to oklahoma so that's one reason he didn't end up in oklahoma and yeah so maybe maybe his nearest relative maybe there was some ties with oil at some level maybe when he was younger or you know and he was obviously a significant person that's you know not far from wichita when he was he was living probably two hours from Wichita all those times of the movie and book were. So, um, yeah. So, I don't know. I haven't figured, figured it out yet. Interesting conclusion to the video. A little spooky. You couldn't find the light. <laughs> and then you helpfully put a red arrow on your on your office in uh, outside Cessna Stadium. So, that was a good, good way to wrap it up. Okay. what is there a movie over Christmas that you are excited to see? So, Napo- I haven't seen Napoleon. I'm definitely going to see that. It's just the historical perspective of it and... I don't know much about Napoleon. You know, I got into history more older as I've been older, and I'm probably I'm sure we learned about Napoleon growing up, but I don't remember. And so I kind of want to watch the movie and then maybe deep dive more about him after that. You know, and so I haven't tried to watch previews very much or see reviews. I've heard plus and minus, you know, about the movie if it's good or not. So maybe that'll that'll be something intriguing but no i other than that one i saw oppenheimer earlier this year which is another kind of historical epic movie um but you know i'd love to over christmas catch a good comedy if there's anything coming out but the comedies have been fewer and far between it seems like in recent years Uh, but no napoleon's probably the one the boys in the boat is the one that i'm very excited to see based on also an excellent book kind of similar to Killers of the Flower Moon about the crew team at the University of Washington and the 1936 Olympics. So I saw the previews for that, and definitely I thought, yeah, that, that would be um, a, pretty, a pretty fun one. For sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. All right, John Wise, Assistant Director of Track and Field and Cross Country at Wichita State. The Shockers indoor track season underway. Inter-squad meet Friday at the Heskett Center. John, thanks for your time. Appreciate it as always.
Hi, this is Rick Muma, president of Wichita State University. Check out the latest episode of the Forward Together podcast. Each episode, I sit down with different guests from Shocker Nation to celebrate the vision and mission of Wichita State University. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Roundhouse Podcast, courtesy of Wichita State University Strategic Communications. We encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find more Roundhouse content at GoShockers.com. It's over! It is over! Ladies and gentlemen, say it slowly and savor it. Wichita State is going to the Final Four for the first time in 48 years. Unbelievable. What a scene, folks. The Shocker fans are just going crazy in the stands. Just maybe the greatest win in the history of Wichita State basketball.